Welcome to Mafia, a new podcast telling stories of America's criminal underworld. Gotti assumed the position of head of the Gambino family. And using the name Donnie Brasco, I was able to infiltrate the uh, Bonanno uh, crime family in New York City. Bugsy Siegel is an American mob legend. One man changed the whole texture and landscape of crime in America. Listen to Mafia every Wednesday on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your favorite shows. Five, four, three, two, one. Cue music. This is Movies First with Alex First and Chris Coleman. Hello and welcome to Movies First, and if you've enjoyed our theatre first edition, well, this time we're back to the celluloid, back to the silver screen, and we're going to start with some horror. We are then going to have the return of a big-name Australian actor in there as well, and a couple of other bits and pieces. Chris Coleman is my name. Alex First has been off to the movies. Hello there, Alex. Sir, a pleasure. I have seen a ripper of a movie, and it's great when you don't expect something it comes up it creeps up on you and it really takes the world by storm which this movie has don't breathe it was made for a pittance in this day and age it was made for under 10 million bucks if i'm not mistaken in u.s dollar terms and first week it's almost tripled its take it's just great what a great story eh? now you've mentioned to me uh, don't breathe i've had a quick look at the cast there jane levy is in it now she was in probably one of the more uh, uh sleeper type tv shows in, in on american tv a couple of years ago a show called suburgatory where she played a, a fish out of water character in in a comedy this sounds to me like it is a role about as far removed from that as it could possibly be Yes, but she's she's really she's an actor on the up. I mean, which is the beauty part. And she has done other material that you are going to sort of be familiar with. All those people, those people who might know her, she she plays a really interesting role in this one, and I think she does it particularly well. It's it's funny when there's almost a breakout or breakthrough role that catapults somebody to superstardom. And if you think about the Australian analogy, you you had the Wolf of Wall Street, and you had a TV actor who suddenly made the transition, Margot Robbie I'm talking about. So I wonder whether Don't Breathe is going to be that for Jane Levy. Mm. I, I, I hope it is, because she was very good uh, in Suburgatory a few years ago. It was one of those shows. It didn't get a lot of critical acclaim, but I really enjoyed it. Oh, look, that, that, that is good. I can't say that I'd, I'd seen it, but she was in Evil Dead, right? And, I mean, the reason I mentioned Evil Dead is that the director of Don't Breathe, Fetty Alvarez was responsible for even Evil Dead, and he, he co-wrote the script with uh, Rodo Sayagis. I may be mispronouncing the name, but, you know, excuse me if I am. But obviously this has got pedigree. The three of them will work together before. So three youngsters break into the house of a blind recluse, right? So that this is this is a bloke who really shouldn't put up any resistance. They, they break into the home confident of an easy score, but they find themselves in a terrifying life-or-death struggle, and this is the second feature by Fetty Alvarez after Evil Dead. Determined to escape her abusive mother, save her younger sister from the dead-end existence that seems inevitable for both of them, the Jane Levy character, Rocky, will do whatever it takes to get away. That's why she wants the money. She and, and friends, one of them's a boyfriend, one of them's a, sort of a male mate, Alex played by Dylan Minnette, and Money, M-O-N-E-Y, Daniel Zavato, the latter being the boyfriend, have pulled off a series of elaborately planned burglaries in order to come up with enough cash to escape their dire hometown existence. They live in Detroit. 
they've only really done petty crimes to this point, netting only meagre rewards. So when this trio learn that a blind man, played by Stephen Lang, living in an abandoned neighbourhood, has a small fortune stashed in his house, of course they go for it. Their plan, though, goes dangerously awry when their intended victim turns out to be more frightening than they could have ever anticipated. And as he stalks them relentlessly, this is the character played by Stephen Lang, through his heavily fortified house, they are horrified to discover that he has more than just cash hidden away. So don't breathe. Shocking. Enthralling. Great combination. From the get-go, the atmospherics are foreboding. The opening scene is great. They do not let up the atmospherics for the entirety of the film. So the mood is set, the screws are tightened, then there's shock after surprise after shock. Having a tightly wound script and an actor of Stephen Lang's calibre play the antagonist, wow, it's just terrific. I mean, you really long to see more of it. And and that's that's what I loved about this. He He... He is an actor's actor, and his character's lack of sight is more than made up for by the heightened awareness of his other senses. So he's strong, he's powerful, he's menacing, comfortable in the knowledge that the three of them have invaded his space. So he's got every right to do what he wants to do. And then there's the presence of a ruthless attack dog, Stephen Lang's dog, constantly ready to pounce and tear chunks out of the trio. So it plays on vulnerabilities better than most horror thrillers. Don't Breathe is at times quite brutal. The tropes of the genre, scares, confined space, darkness, shackles, all of them used to maximum effect. Just where it's going to end, well, it's anyone's guess. Suffice to say, there will be casualties, and we, the audience, feel like we have been put through the ringer. Our discomfort is palpable. So this is a movie with massive impact, you will not forget it quite all that easily, if at all, upon exiting the cinema. You can be afraid, Chris. Yes, very afraid, because I warn you, Lang's pursuit is relentless and Fetty Alvarez's direction is right on the money. No pun intended. It's rated MA in Australia for good reason. It's a perfect running time at 88 minutes. It is, well, one of the hits of the year, undoubtedly so. Don't breathe. Oh, it's eight to eight and a half out of ten. Okay, one to keep an eye out for there. Don't breathe. Starting off with a bit of horror. I think it's the first time we've started with horror. On I agree with you. First, I think. Yeah. Uh, let's go to nerve. What is nerve? Well, are you a game player? Are you? You're not a video game player, are you? I, on, wa- I, I, I was in my younger days, but not not these you know online massive multiplayer online game things. I was I was a big fan of, of the the early uh, versions of Grand Theft Auto and so on, and uh, uh, and a game called Portal. You know, I, and when I was younger, I could quite comfortably lose myself in video games for hours on end, but not so much anymore. So you're a little bit too old for Pokemon, I'm presuming. Not the original, not the Pokemon Go. <laughs> My kids loved Pokemon when they were yeah. younger. Yeah, they were into it big time. I wish I'd kept all their cards now, you know. Would have been worth yeah. a fortune. Well, it's, it's interesting. I, I think about these things from time to time. I'm not sure whether I've told you this story or not, but I, a few years ago, I, being a journo, being a news journo, as apart from doing what I'm doing in terms of my entertainment and my travel, you know, the travel podcast that we do as well called Travel First, I was, all, was always interested in sound and, and we used to have, 
they were they were recorders, portable recorders that I went out with as a news journo, and my one, you know, basically wound down. I'd, I'd used it, and used it, and used it, and I thought oh, I'd love to get a cassette recorder again. I don't know why I had this sort of notion. So anyway, I looked around on the internet, and I saw. I just trying to remember the brand. It was a particular brand of cassette recorder. Uh, And for the life of me, I can't think of it now. Anyway, I finally found it online. I I found a brand new one or a new one. The word brand is tautology. But there you go. I found a new one and I bought it. You know where I bought it from? Where did you buy it from? The guy who sold it got it from the FBI. (laughs) Seriously. Because they... (laughs) when they used to quiz people. So I've got a tape recorder that was at some stage allegedly owned by the FBI. Never used, but they did purchase it. So there you go. But the point of that story was that I've also got one of the one of those Apple products that is no longer you can't buy it anymore. Mm-hmm. But I've got it in the original packaging unopened. Now, don't ask me why I never got around to using it. I'm now not inclined to open it. Because someday, who knows, it may be worth something far more than what I originally paid for it. You know, you need to you need to time it right for when the world reaches peak Apple. And peak Apple. Well, hey, we're going to find that out reasonably soon, aren't we? Because Apple's fortunes are not as strong as they have been, and there's all sorts of questions being asked ahead of the launch of iPhone Seven. All of this does relate to Nerve, and I'll tell you how it relates to Nerve. Hey, Alex, is, how does all this relate to Nerve? I'm so pleased you asked me about that. Because the question becomes, are you a watcher or a player? Because this is an online game, Nerve, in which thrill-seeking players accept increasingly risky dares from anonymous watchers to win valuable rewards. So as small-time pranks ramp up into dangerous acts, fans watch the action live on their smartphones. There we go. That links to the iPhone. That's There's my obtuse reference. Based on a popular young adult novel by Gene Ryan, Nerve is both an edge-of-your-seat thriller and an examination of the seductive power of social media. Screenplay by Jessica Shaza, who did American Horror Story and Turn the Beat Around. Directing team of Henry Joost and Ariel Shulman, best known for the Paranormal Activity series. They've created an action-packed urban adventure that also offers keen insights into online behaviour. It's rated M in Australia, 96 minutes. And in Nerve, when a high school senior called Venus V. Delmonico, played by Emma Roberts, is challenged by her best friend to take part in this game, in Nerve, it launches a series of life-changing events. Because to this point, V has always played it safe. Suddenly, Nerve pushes her to take chances, which can be very hazardous. And Shulman, who I mentioned before, is one of those directing Nerve. He says, if you play, you may get hurt or you may win and become a celebrity and make a lot of money. You can take the safe road or you can take the risk. It's all up to you. So the filmmakers have taken this shy girl, sat her in front of the Internet and inspired her to be someone she didn't have the courage to be yesterday. So someone in cyberspace is daring her to be something she may not want to be. And V goes down the rabbit hole to the dark side of that. The online audience can be powerfully alluring. All of a sudden, you're posting pictures you never would have shown anybody, and that'll catch up with you. So the game operates through a smartphone app. 
allowing prospective players to sign up and start taking chances instantly. Getting out is another story. So the watchers have access to your personal information from Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat, everything else that you're using. The, what Juice, the co-director, says, they custom craft dares based on your fears and aspiration. aspirations. It starts out pretty easily and, and you know, fun, but the game tries to find your limits. The more sinister side of the web, the dark web, seemed like a topic that was ripe for exploration, according to the actress Emma Roberts. People are putting their whole lives on the internet today, she says, and the movie captures that phenomenon, takes it one step further. The timeliness of the script was also one of the attractions for Dave Franco, James Franco's younger brother, who plays Ian, which is V's fellow player and potential love interest. The script taps into something that's relevant right now, according to Dave Franco. People are not themselves when they're hiding behind a computer screen. They're willing to do and say things that would be off-limits when you're face-to-face. Each game of Nerve lasts just 24 hours before a winner is declared, and it then moves on to the next set of challenges. The producer, Alison Shermer, regards the technology in this movie as 10 minutes in the future. But, of course, the themes and situations are right this second. So it's smart, it's savvy, it's sassy, something that will have strong drawing power among its target demographic, which is 18 to 25-year-olds. Combining action, technology, gaming, risk, sex appeal and computer graphics on screen, it taps into the now generation. But I'm not 18 to 25, and I loved it. I thought Roberts and Franco made a really attractive lead couple. The dares their characters confront and take up from the get-go are fun and fanciful, but then they become life-threatening. That, too, is the appeal to us, the audience. Or otherwise put, we become the voyeurs once removed. The question is posed, just when would we actually draw down the shutters and yell, enough, no more? You know, because it does go further and further and further. I was readily sold, Chris, on the first three quarters, perhaps even four-fifths of nerve, when the game and the script morphed into the perilous and deadly, it also began to lose me, perhaps because it, I thought it went beyond credible. And if that wasn't enough, after all attempts to close down the game were rendered impossible and futile, suddenly they weren't impossible and futile. And that was a bit lame as far as I was concerned. Nevertheless, it's got a really good look to it. It, it just looks sensational. It's sure to win over many hearts and minds. It's called Nerve. Emma Roberts, niece, uh, well, once yes, probably more Julia. famous for being the, the niece of uh, Julia Roberts. Wow, she's got some, some real credits to her name now, hasn't she? Oh, she has, and she's a very attractive woman, not surprisingly. I mean, so is Julia. But, uh, yeah, she's got sex appeal, so is Dave Franco. And obviously you put beautiful people on screen, you give them a good script and uh, it's going to work. So uh, score for Nerve? So I'll give it 7 out of 10. 7 out of 10, OK. You're listening to Movies First. He's Chris Coleman. He's, no, he's not. He's Alex First. I'm Chris Coleman. Jeez, I nearly called you me. That's kind of scary, isn't it? Oh, my God. I'll, I'll answer to Chris if you want. <laughs> I don't, I'd rather you I didn't. Put on you, you know, but I don't have that... I don't have the, the depth of voice that you do, sir. So you can. Why, thank you so much. Very good. Very good. <laughs> you, you, you're the ultimate voiceover man with a voice like that. Very sensual and sexy to those people who like that sort of thing. Let's move on, Chris. I'm Let's getting myself into deep water. You are, and I'm just going to let you keep on paddling. Uh, Mel Gibson. We haven't seen Mel Gibson in a big box office blockbuster for a while. He'll be hoping Bloodfather becomes precisely that. The big question, Alex, yeah. first. Will it? Well, 
look, it's a small film. It, it's not got a huge sort of opening in terms of number of cinemas. That doesn't mean that Mel Gibson isn't good in it. He is. He's actually very, very good. It's an 88-minute film rated MA in Australia. Got shades of Sicario and payback about it. So this is an action thriller about an ex-con who's done all manner of bad things. That's Mel Gibson. Now, though, he wants to turn his life around, and he's got an ex-wife who doesn't want to talk to him. He's got a daughter who he's lost touch with. And Gibson, who is an alcoholic with a sponsor, is eking out a meagre existence as a tattoo artist in a trailer park in the middle of nowhere. When I say he's an alcoholic, well, once an alcoholic, you are an alcoholic, but he hasn't touched a drink for quite some time. Where he lives, this trailer park, is a city in itself, exclusively made up of blue-collar workers who became dropouts because of the economic downturn. That's when Mel Gibson's character's past catches up with him. His daughter, whose photo was captured on a missing persons report when she was just 14 years of age, is now 17 and in a whole heap of trouble. Out of nowhere, she reaches out to Mel Gibson by phone, scared out of her wits. She's got in with a very, very bad mob who want her dead after a drug deal that went horribly wrong. And she can't turn to the police. Now, only her father has any hope of protecting her, and only he will, no matter what it may cost him. It's scripted by Straight Outta Compton's Andrea Burloff and the town's Peter Craig. It's actually based upon a novel by Peter Craig, directed by Jean-Francois Richet, who was responsible for a movie called Assault on Precinct 13. Did you see that? No, you re- no, I remember it, and uh, it was it's funny, it was on my list of things to see, and then I never got around to seeing it. Um... Possibly because someone told me that it wasn't that good a movie. It was Ethan Hawke and Lawrence Fishburne and Gabriel Byrne. I I thought it was okay. It wasn't the greatest movie ever made, but it was all right. Not bad. I think there were a few other things out at the same time as it. It sort of got bumped a bit down the list. The the book is the coming-of-age story about a girl, but the movie script deals with the last part of the novel, right? And it's all about Gibson as a liberating character. So Richet says all his life, Gibson's character has been taking blows. He even goes to jail to protect his adoptive father. And he questions what Gibson has actually got out of it. The answer is nothing. So to save his daughter, to make up for his absence, to give her the joy of living, he frees himself through violence. So violence in blood father becomes liberating. And you can just imagine Gibson plays Grizzled very, very well. You could reasonably argue he's ideally suited to the role. And I also appreciated the innocent beauty behind his daughter. We spoke before about an actress called Levy. Here's an actress called Moriarty. Erin Moriarty is her name. She's destined to to do big things here, I reckon. The character's clearly in way over her head, but there's a sweetness about her, notwithstanding the violence all around her. William H. Macy, one of my favourite actors wasn't Fargo a brilliant movie. He plays a small but noteworthy role as Gibson's best mate and AA mentor. And the bad dude's typically nasty to the core, but this is a movie about degrees of bad because virtually everyone's broken. And the momentum set in the opening scene and then carried forward throughout the rest of the movie. In terms of plot development, this is never going to end well, but it becomes a question of redemption or futility. So rated M, Blood Father is, or MA rather, Blood Father is a gritty crowd pleaser 
And I reckon some people are going to really enjoy it. It's sort of more of a, a male-orientated movie because of the violent nature of it, I dare say. Looking at Mel Gibson, I said at the start, it's, it's been a while since he's been in a, a block, blockbuster film. He's really turned back his output in recent years, just sort of doing yeah. basically a movie a year, and that's about it since about the year 2000. It, Prior to that, you'd see him really, in two or three a year. Um, it's not his choice, I dare you know, say. Yeah, I, I, I was going to say, how much of it is his choice and how, yeah. how much of it is no. otherwise, yeah. No, it is otherwise, I mean, in my opinion, because he, he really... You think about his past... He made, he made some sensational movies. He made Braveheart. He made Lethal Weapon. He he also did the Mad Max original Mad Max. I mean, he was he was probably the biggest name Australia had for for quite some time. Well, I'll, ju- I'll just run through, okay? Highlights highlights of Mel, Mel Gibson. You mentioned the Mad Max. That he was in the original trilogy uh, for Mad Max. He was in the Year of Living Dangerously, Gallipoli, uh, Mrs. Soffel, great film going back to the to the early 1980s. Uh, Tequila Sunrise was one of his early Hollywood movies, as was uh, Bird on a Wire. Air America, uh, alongside, uh, was that a young Robert Downey Jr.? in mm-hmm. Air America. Mm-hmm. Uh, Braveheart, of course, two Academy Awards for Braveheart. He provided uh, the voice in Pocahontas, the Disney uh, animated cl- uh, flick. There was The Patriot. Uh, and probably the last big thing he did was really what women want in the year 2000 or, or potentially We Were Soldiers in 2002, but I think probably what women want is probably more memorable there. Uh, since then, uh, Signs, the M. Night Shyamalan thing, which... I watched and thought was just weird. There was the singing detective, which again was just weird. Um, well, I saw him in Get the Gringo. Actually, that was a good yeah. film. Mm-hmm. That was, I, a, that, but I mean, it, it wasn't. It, you know, it wasn't huge. That's yeah. the thing. And and then then he, he goes and makes this schlock, well, action comedy crime film mach, machete kills. Uh, yeah, all of the machete films weren't all that memorable. So yeah, unfortunately, in this case. Unlike Robert Downey Jr., who reinvented his career, remember he went to prison and, mm. and now he's about as hot as you can possibly get, and he's been that way for quite some time. Mel Gibson, unfortunately, has gone the other way. And I don't think people you know, warm to him the way that they used to, which is unfortunate because his acting is still very, very sound. Yeah, Certainly, yeah. Unfortunately, uh, you can't go on some of the, the uh, uh, let's say, rants that he's been on and, and get away with it in an unforgiving place like Hollywood. Well, that's that seems to be the situation, but yeah, you know, I think I think there's more to redemption to be done, and I'd love to see him in a big movie. You know, the way that John Travolta, for example, suddenly reemerged from. Uh, well, it, it wasn't purgatory, but it was uh, his stocks had had really fallen, and and all of a sudden he was resurrected. So it can happen. It, it can. can happen. Yeah. And and what is he? He's sixty. Uh, yeah. Turned sixty this year, I think, at Mel Gibson. So, still plenty of time to see him in some big, block, big budget blockbusters. And uh, what is he working on at the moment? He's got a couple of things that he is working on at the moment: uh, the Professor and the Madman. So, you know, I don't know anything about it, but it's certainly an intriguing title. So let's see how we go. Well, look, I mean, I I hope he does okay. Yeah, he, I mean, he he would be sixty years of age by now. But you know, you think about well, Morgan Freeman. I mean, <laughs> Morgan Freeman and and people like that. I mean, that's just one example. The, Morgan Freeman could could act on a postage stamp, and you'd want to go along and see him. And you know, he Morgan Freeman is an interesting one to me because he's significantly older, right? And and yet he seems to be ageless. You just love to see him in in movies. Actually, I don't know. Talking about Morgan Freeman, I'm just trying to think. When did I first see Morgan Freeman in a movie and really notice that he was he was sort of uh, one to be watched? Probably going back to. 
seven. I think that was the first movie. No, Shawshank Redemption. That was it. Uh, and, and he was in Unforgiven as well. And he hasn't put a foot wrong. I mean, he's, he's a guy who, well, he's made some movies that haven't done all that well, but he seems to be a consistent performer. I, I, I just, I'm, I don't know why I mentioned him other than I saw him again recently in a movie that was pretty awful, but I again thought he was pretty good. I, I think I was talking about Ben-Hur. Mm-hmm. Anyway, that's yeah. Morgan Freeman. Yeah. I, reckon, I reckon the first time I really noticed him would have been Driving Miss Daisy. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's true too. About, yeah, about I, I, late 80s. I, I can't remember when. But I'd actually yeah. forgotten about that. Yeah. yeah, Driving, of course, that was where I noticed him. That was No, that's, that's where he came to prominence. You're quite right. So Driving Miss Daisy, I'm just trying to think. Yeah, that was 89. Yeah. Yeah, so that was where. Mind you, he was the principal, um, just looking at his CV now, he was the principal in Lean On Me, which was also that same year. So, so he came out now. Okay, so that was 89. So I'm just trying to do my arithmetic now. That was 27 years ago, right? Is that, that correct? It yes, is. Yes. Yeah, 27 years ago. Now, the guy is now, just to give you some idea of age, he was born in 37, right? So, so, so he's pushing 80. Yeah. So, and 27 years ago, he came to prominence. That's the reason I mentioned him. Because so, so if he's pushing 80, he was, he was 53, right? <laughs> Right, so and we're talking about Mel Gibson as what sixty years of age, plenty left in the tank. Well, I'd hope so. If you if you're somebody like Morgan Freeman who just makes a name for themselves later on, um, and look, he was acting before that, but he was doing lots of TV things, right? And uh, well, he was there. You go. There was a movie that I can't remember whether I saw now. He was in Brew Baker. Yeah, right, that doesn't Tom, ring a bell with me at all. I, no, no, I mean. Yeah, I remember seeing it, but it's it's been too long ago. So, anyway, let's move on from there. Let, let's did move I, on. Did, I, did, I, did you give a score for Bloodfather? No, I don't remember. Six, no, I didn't. Six and a half to seven out of ten. Okay. Finally today on Movies First, let's go to Sunset Song, uh, a, a coming-of-age story with a difference. Yeah, look, this is very different because I don't think... I, this has got... This is a Greek tragedy done Scottish style. I can't actually remember ever doing anything like that with you before. Uh, yeah, so so I'll just go and grab, I'll grab myself a souvlaki and a kilt and I'll be right back. Exactly. It's, it's tortuous to sit through, though, Chris. <laughs> it's, it's 136 minutes. Oh. It's rated M in Australia. And, yeah, it's billed as a sort of epic of tragedy and love set at the dawn of the Great War. Terence Davies' intimate epic. And based... Well, it's about a young woman's endurance against the hardships of rural Scottish life, based upon a novel by Lewis Grassic Gibbon, told with gritty poetic realism. Am I waxing lyrical or what? The, the film takes place during the early years of the 20th century, with the conflicts and choices a young woman experiences reflecting the struggle between tradition and change. Set in the rural community of Aberdeenshire. And Sunset Song is driven by the young heroine, Chris Guthrie, and her intense passion for life. She also has a passion for a character called Ewan and for the unforgiving land that is rural Scotland. Chris is one of six children to an authoritarian, mean-tempered father. That's a role filled by Peter Mullen. Peter Mullen treats his wife and eldest son, Will, particularly harshly. When Chris's mother passes away, two of the younger children go to live with their aunt and uncle in Aberdeen, leaving... Chris and eldest 
or eldest in the family will and their father to run the family farm. Eventually, Chris marries a young farmer, and this is where Ewan comes in. His name's Ewan Tavendale, played by Kevin Guthrie. The pair very much in love. But that isn't bound to last, because the First World War breaks out and there, there's pressure on Ewan to enlist, which he does. But he's brutalised by his army experience. So Sunset Song takes work on the part of the audience. I can't say you come out feeling great, because the subject matter is just so dour. And it made it all that much more difficult because the film unfolds at such a slow pace with the beautiful Scottish countryside not enough to quicken the heart. While you can admire Chris for putting up with such a troubled life for so, so long, I was also left asking, why didn't she just turn tail and run? I mean, she was this clever and diligent teenager and for a time she had ambition to be a teacher. Agnes Dean, I think, does a really fine job capturing the heart and soul of Chris. And plaudits also go to Peter Mullen, whose portrayal of the unsympathetic father quickly incurs the hatred of the audience. And it's painted Sunset Song as a slice-of-life reality piece, which reflects the times and the place. You know what I was thinking? Mm -hmm. Thank goodness I wasn't born then and there. <laughs> yes. So the movie has impact, but it's only going to appeal to a select audience. And I also struggled with some of the poetic and floral language, which the writer and director Davies uses to, to weave his tale of angst. And two hours, 15 or 16 minutes, wow, that doesn't aid the cause either. So, yeah, that's Sunset Song. I, I want to ask you a couple of questions. Firstly, this is one of those films, unless I'm very much mistaken, it's one of those films that has very few, if any, real known actors or actresses in it, yeah? Yeah, well, Peter Mullen, some people would have seen, but yeah, other than that, not particularly well known. And very largely a male-dominated cast. Yes, but the central character is female, mm. yeah. uh, which is actually not a bad device. Yeah, I, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with it, it's just you don't often see it these days, that's all. No, no, and, and I think it's it's in a situation like this where the males are so dominant, for, for a woman to stand up to them is really, that in itself is is a big deal. And as much as you want her to stand up to the men even more than she does, you've got to recognise the time and the place. As I say, at the dawn of the Great War, when the male of the species were the dominant, right? And that was just the way it was. It, it wasn't, it's not right in today's terms. I'm not, as, not asking anybody to justify it, but that's what, you know, that, that's the whole idea. That's what you build the movie around. Fair enough. Give us a score for Sunset Song to wrap things up for this week. Six out of ten. OK. This week we have reviewed Sunset Song, Bloodfather, Nerve and Don't Breathe, a very mixed bag of movies this week, and we'll do some more movies where you hear about them first on Movies First with Alex First and me, Chris Coleman, next week. Catch you later, Alex. That sounds terrific, and we are going to be talking about Tom Hanks next week. Oh, really looking forward to that. Catch you later. Excellent. You've been listening to Movies First with Alex First and Chris Coleman. Subscribe to the full podcast at Audioboom, Stitcher and iTunes or your favourite podcast distributor. This has been another quality podcast production from Bytes.com. Welcome to Mafia, a new podcast telling stories of America's criminal underworld. Gotti assumed the position of head of the Gambino family. And using the name Donnie Brasco, 
I was able to infiltrate the uh, Bonanno uh, crime family in New York City. Bugsy Siegel is an American mob legend. One man changed the whole texture and landscape of crime in America. Listen to Mafia every Wednesday on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your favorite shows.